of course your health is serious. The reason I did this was to make people take the right thing seriously and give you tools to see what you know isn't going to help you. A lot of people stand to profit off you taking the wrong things really seriously. So I'm just trying to cut through those narratives. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am so excited for a few different reasons. So first, we are running our first ever giveaway on the show. To enter, you can go share your favorite episode to Instagram and make sure you tag me, or you can go share my latest post, which will be a clip of this episode. Make sure you tag me no matter what you do, because if you are on private or whatever, I want to make sure I see it. If you do not have Instagram, whatever it is, you can also leave a review. Make sure your name's attached to it so that I can enter you there. I will be picking a winner for a $100 Lululemon gift card in two episodes from now, so make sure you tune into that. Before I introduce our guest, There's a little bit of a reduction in audio quality for six or seven minutes, right around the seven minute mark of this episode. So if you're a little bit of an audio snob, fast forward to about the 15 minute mark and you'll skate right past it. But it was just too good to cut it out. So I did keep it in. This interview is obviously a little bit longer than I normally have my episodes, but there is so much good information, whether you are a coach, whether you are an athlete, whatever goal you have, you're going to get something out of this. And it was so much fun to record. I have an absolutely amazing guest for today. She's not only a two-times CrossFit Games athlete, but also on seminar staff for CrossFit, a nutrition and programming coach, a CrossFitter with a sign, and my personal mentor when I was starting out nutrition coaching. She is so incredibly knowledgeable and she really has done it all. So this interview has a ton of knowledge bombs and helpful information. And we also go into a Q&A at the very end. So without further ado, please welcome Kate Gordon to the show. So let's start out hot. You said one of the all around best things I have ever heard recently, and I absolutely refused to let it die in my Instagram DMs. I loved it so much. I had asked you what you'd like to brag on or promote on the show when you came on and sort of just kind of get, trying to get an idea for your intro or whatever. And you reply back and I quote, fortunately, my business is built on my brand and my brand is me. And I thought that was the most badass fucking thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I want to know who is Kate Gordon? What is your brand? What do you want to do with your brand? What exactly is this brand that you've built purely on yourself? <laughs> I I love listening to that. I'm like, oh God, I sound like such a cocky asshole. But <laughs> no, you don't. I think oh my that- gosh, it's phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> the thing with social media is like, it's just a storytelling platform. Really, it's a storytelling platform. And I've become more and more of an oversharer. And the more that I share the things that I'm going through, the more that people seem to connect with me. I think I've been running that page since 2014. And and it was something that I started as a secret. I was posting so much CrossFit stuff on my personal Instagram page that I was like, Oh, God, I don't want to be that guy, that guy that's always talking about CrossFit. So I'll just go start my own page. It'll be no one will know about it. It'll just be see if Kate, no one will know who I am. And then of course, all my friends come over and follow me on that. And I'm like, okay, well, you guys opted in now. That was just something that has organically snowballed into more and more and more. And it used to be, you know, something that was like, I'm going to show off all my badass workouts and I'm going to show off my abs and I'm going to do these things. And then it's kind of evolved into this thing where I was like, you know what? People enjoy learning. People enjoy it being a resource rather than a magazine uh, photo shoot. It, it just became something where it was more about sharing. The more that I realized that people resonated with the stuff that I was struggling with, with the stuff that I was trying to work on to be better, the more that I was like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to keep sharing this stuff. Like this seems to actually be almost beneficial for people. And it was like, when I clicked in onto that, that the stuff that I was doing was stuff that other people could probably also do to help whatever they're going through. It was like, oh, of course I can empower people by 
unleashing my resources and whether that's stuff that I've made up or stuff that I've gained from other people that I'm around or people that I'm exposed to through social media or whatever. It's like, man, my best ability is in terms of empowering others is to give them my stuff. It just became what CFK was. It's my kind of alter ego. It's where I get to talk about anything and everything. I am a big oversharer. And the more that I share, the more that people seem to connect with. We're all going through the same stuff. Yeah, it just became this space that was like, I have some really cool people following me. I've connected with really cool people. Like I seem to have this little community of followers. They're kind of on board and they, they're interested in what I have to say and they don't necessarily agree on everything and some of it doesn't apply to them, but it, it's interesting nonetheless. Yeah, it's just taken on a whole life of its own, to be honest. So when I say that the brand is built on Sea of Kate and Sea of Kate is me, it's because that's it. Like that literally is it. It's just me being super open and people being interested in what, what I have to share with the world. So it's kind of cool. I think that's amazing. I think that authenticity shines through and I think that's why you're so magnetic. I believe I followed you before I mentored with you. I believe you're just incredibly human and your struggles that you have shared are personal and they're very real. They're very raw. You said maybe everyone doesn't agree with exactly what you have to say, but you are very sure of yourself. You're very sure of your message and you're very helpful. You're very resourceful. It's something that you follow this page and you take something away from it. And you're also watching someone else be open and vulnerable, which weirdly is not as common, especially on Instagram. Yeah. Instagram is like looking at like Chanel magazine. It's crazy what you see on there now. So to yeah. see someone yeah. be so real about things they've gone through, that I think is a brand in itself. It's just like, look at me improving myself. This is why you should let me help you because I'm doing it. I'm walking the walk. I'm talking the talk. I'm doing all of it. Yeah. I think one of the big breakthroughs for me as a coach was being okay with sharing the stuff that I was bad at and being like, hey, I'm struggling with this or this is hard or this is what I've overcome. And you don't have to be the hero. Like you don't have to be the hero to make people want to work with you or to make people like you or think that you're a good coach. In fact, the more that you can level with them, the more that they can see that you struggle, the more that they are given permission in their own struggles, right? Like it's this kind of crazy thing. And I remember having this conversation with a coach where he'd never post photos when he eats out. Like he it was so much so that his girlfriend went to take a photo of a burger at this burger place we were eating at. And he was like, you can't post that on social media. And it was like, why not? And he was like, I don't let anyone from the gym see me posting bad food. And I'm like, but you're eating it. And he's like, yeah, but I just, I set the example. And I'm like, yeah, the example of, which is fucking bullshit. Like that's not the reality. And now you have people thinking that they can't go and eat a burger. Like, <laughs> like this is so ridiculous. Surely the better thing is to give people permission to go and eat a burger every now and again. You're a really good example of someone who does eat burgers that actually does it the right way. Like that's the best thing to show people. Come on, man. <laughs> and I just made me like, that's such bullshit. Like it's such a, it's such a made up version. It's so true. Instagram is such a highlight reel and people really can be the architects of some bullshit version of themselves. And it, uh, it's, it just, it pains me. People say that they came for the CrossFit and they stayed for the sex because of the relationship stuff they talk about. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I think people have just taken random stuff from things that I've figured out and learned and resources from people that I follow. And it's like, that's really cool. If you come for the CrossFit and you get something else out of it, that's kind of my goal now. And I want to be, <laughs> I want to be as far reaching as possible and as diverse and, and show you all the things that I'm interested in. I get obsessive about things and I love it. So it's cool that other people are like, oh, that's interesting. I'm like, yes, it almost validates me really. <laughs> it's just, I'm just there for validation, to be honest. <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Yeah. It's ridiculous. But I love that. And I'm there now. I'm like, wait, what did she say about this? Oh, wait, her, her boyfriend's going on a date. Oh, he's on Tinder. Oh, wait, how does that work? Oh, okay. I've never seen that. Like, <laughs> I'm all up in it. Like I'm all up in your business all the time because you're going through these experiences that interest me. And you have a lot.
lot of crazy experiences. You are an insanely successful athlete. You're an insanely successful coach. You have built your brand. You've done a lot of the things that people really want to do to watch someone do it that's honest about it and is like, yeah, no, I kind of fucked this up, but like, it's all right. We're going to figure it out and showing how you do figure it out. That's like the best possible thing you can do. And especially as you're a coach, I don't want to work with someone that's a fucking robot. I don't think anybody Mm. does. I also think that that is the reason your brand is so successful is because of who you are. What was that like mentally as a transformation from the person that was posting this shredded six pack? You've posted a lot about how you used to just kill yourself to look like that. Now, I mean, you still have this incredible body. Let's not get anything twisted here. But (laughs) you've become much more relatable and much more open about the struggles that went along with that. What was that mindset shift like? And if there was something, could you pinpoint something that maybe started that or put it in motion? Yeah, I think there are a few things. When I was doing photos with no shirt on, like I didn't ever train with my shirt off. I was never that at home with how I looked to just be like, oh, fuck it, I just don't trim my shirt off. I always had insecurity where like, if I felt more comfortable wearing clothes, I'd just wear clothes. It was a bit of a juxtaposition to be posting photos that weren't really like the way that I trained. It's like, this is bullshit. Like I knew that I was bullshitting, not only myself, but everybody else. And I'm like, you know what? I call bullshit on myself. And then the other thing was that after the game, yeah, 2019, it was 2019 that I just gained like five kilos after the games, after being pretty lean. I remember being like, you know what? Fuck it. It's okay to gain weight. And I think people will accept me like that. I just remember posting a photo being like, I have a lot of before photos in my form. I don't have any after photos. I always wanted to get that before and after photo. I never got it. It was really upsetting to me that I never felt like I got that after photo. It wasn't anything to do with the journey that I was taking or my health and fitness or how I looked. It was just that I never accepted myself and I never felt like I was good enough or worthy or felt like I got there. You always move the goalposts and you always get close or you fall off track or you get what you want, but then you more and it's just like, fuck the before and after. I want the now photo. I want the now. I want the during. I want the here I am. This is it. This is the vessel that fucking carries me through this one life that I have. And it was like this moment of, I just want to show you what I am now and nothing before and nothing after. And it was the best thing for me to really gain a lot of confidence, to be honest. Like, I think that was one of the stepping stones for me on social media to just open up. The more that you can expose yourself at your worth, the more that you can encourage people not to like you, that builds such incredible amounts of inner confidence because it's here I fucking am, like at my absolute worth. And give it to me. Show me what you got. Like, tell me how bad it is. Tell me whatever you think. It doesn't matter. It became a point of, you know what? This is just radical self-acceptance to the point where I will test it out on a public platform. Wow. I mean, you have a really big following. Was the response overall positive or did kind of really that's amazing always positive I actually have really had (laughs) apart from being overwhelmed from like people reaching out to me and the pressure that I put on myself to put out good content or like people that I have to talk to and I've only ever had positive experiences with interacting with people on social media I've had a few people disagree with me but it's usually been very polite I don't get dick pics I don't get like inappropriate things the only places I've had negative comments has actually been on other people's pages like it's across the game to reshare a post or if another page that's got a big following is reshare a post. And I think it's because what happens on my profile is that I filter 
out all the assholes <laughs> because I put out content that is quite specific and it is quite personal and I have a very clear point of view with how I approach things and I'm not conventional. I definitely veer away pretty hard from the status quo. It tends to filter people out that aren't interested in that stuff. They just don't follow me. I have a really nice following. The only place I've seen comments that I'm like, well, that's a shitty comment has been on other people's profiles. I think that's a huge testament to you and the content you put out. Everyone's like, oh, I hate Instagram. Like it's so toxic. It's so awful. <laughs> and social media in general, for you to be so authentic that people don't even fuck with it, you have to be very sure of yourself to give off that message. And that's an incredible <laughs> I think I'm just scary, thing. maybe. I love that. With CrossFit, you're a phenomenal athlete. And I have a ton of CrossFitters that listen to my show that definitely want to hear more about it. You've been to the games twice. And you're also on seminar staff. And I do want to talk about that after like CrossFit as a brand with you, I want to talk a little bit more about what it takes to break into that next level. Because I think a lot of people, you know, they say they want to go to the games or even like sanctional level, and they may not fully understand the sacrifice or the level of intensity that is involved with getting to that point. I wanted to hear it from someone that's been there. What do you think people maybe have rose-colored glasses on about when they say, oh, I just want to go to the games? And of course, some people will do it. But what do you think are the most common things that people are surprised by when they try to get to that level? And they're like, oh, shit, this is really fucking hard. It's pretty much all mental. (laughs) If you have some physical capacity and you have some pre-existing strength and you're a competent athlete, then it really comes down to how you see yourself. If you see yourself as an athlete, how you compete, how well you compete with other people, how well you push to win. And not just like on the competition floor, but I mean like every day. I remember working with my mentor. He was my training buddy for about a year. He's like what we call the grandfather of CrossFit in Australia. He really started it. He is also a master's athlete and we trained together for a year. And he was my CrossFit dad. Very, very intelligent man. Talked about Tia Claire Toomey training at his gym a little while when she, she was a nobody. She hadn't been to the games. I think maybe she'd done a few local competitions. And, She's a nobody. Uh, no one knows who she is. Literally. <laughs> just this girl who rocks into this gym and she trained with him maybe just a couple sessions, came in and did some classes or trained with some of the competition squad. He just described this experience where she wasn't a phenomenal athlete. Like not that she wasn't phenomenal, but she was new. She was a rookie. And the girl that she was training with was, I believe, ahead of her in some, maybe a rope climb, running, gymnastic style workout. And he just described this shift when she realized the other girl was in front of her. It was like something came over her and she was just like, I will not lose. I will not lose, not now, not to this girl. I will not let that happen. And it was just incredible determination. She just pushed beyond, you know, what you'd think someone would be capable of to just beat someone else. It's like this real drive to want to be the best. There's sort of two athletes. Like there's an athlete that really does just want to win. And I think Tia Claire is probably one of those athletes that is just so driven to just beat other people. She's been an athlete for a long time, you know, all her life in terms of athlete age she is very old and she was mature before she even got into CrossFit. And I think people forget that. People are like, oh, you can be a rookie and come into CrossFit and break through in a couple of years. Like, no, she is a very mature athlete. She's been doing this her entire life. Her life has revolved around it. Like you just need to pick up her book and read the first few pages to realize that there's that athlete. And then there's also the other athlete that while they want to win, the reason that they do it, and I believe this is Annie Thor's daughter athlete, she wants to do it because it makes her the best version of herself. And she wants to do it because it makes her healthy and it makes her strong and it makes her the kind of person that she wants to be. So the why is still just as significant as being like, I will win. And winning means so much about my identity. But hers is like, I the bigger why is that the best version of me is the version that's pushing for the podium. 
that's the way that I realized my potential. There has to be a bigger why. There has to be something that is beyond just the training and beyond just the, I want to compete. Like that's not enough. You have to really know what it is that drives you, why you're doing it. Is it because you want to be on the podium because you want to win? And that's, that's who you are. That was me. I was the person that was like, my bigger why is that I just want to be the best version of myself. I think that I have the potential to fucking win the games. Like I can see myself, like I know that I'm not that much different from those girls. And like, no, I haven't gotten there, but the goal is always to go beyond what you think you are because that's your potential being actually realized. So it's like the best version of yourself is the version that's the best. It seems too simple. Yeah, just having a really good understanding of the why. And then the basic stuff is actually just showing up every day and being super committed to it for like five years. (laughs) Like five years is probably the minimum. And doing all the one percenters, like I think people underestimate the importance of the accessories and the stretching and the sleep and like the dieting. It's like, no, those are really the big pieces. And those are the pieces that really test your commitment as well. Like I think showing up and doing the training is that's kind of the fun bit, really. It's hard and it gets uncomfortable, but it's fun. It's the, you have to be in bed every night. And sometimes you go out with friends and you don't drink alcohol and you leave early. Like I was single for most of my competitive career and it worked really well because I was super selfish and I didn't have to spread my time out with anybody else apart from myself in the gym. And like, <laughs> I could make all my own meals. I was in bed super early. It was a pretty boring life, but I really enjoyed it. I think you kind of need that. I mean, I did not compete at nearly the level you did. I found that I I lost a bunch of friends. It put a lot of strain on my relationship that I was in. I was very surprised that even at, like I was bottom of the barrel at this meet. Like it was not like no one was worried about me being there, but even to get there and to qualify and to just step on that stage, all of a sudden I was living this completely different life. Then I had the realization of, okay, I can either dive deeper into this or I can X, Y, or Z. There's no both. Those sort of sacrifices I find when I'm coaching athletes are not only surprising, but also very emotional. And what you said about sort of having that why as a motivator, I think really is the missing piece for a lot of people. The way you talk about it and saying that even though Tia and Annie, they might have these two somewhat different whys, it still comes from a place of sort of like how you do one thing is how you do everything. We had some technical difficulties, but we are back. I did want to ask you, what does it look like day to day when you're training for the games and you're training on a team, which I'm sure adds a component? What does that look like from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed? I train one session a day, majority of the year until it's literally until CrossFit games. Like (laughs) the program that I follow is really around moderate volume and high intensity. So it's not excessive volume. It's something that you can kind of do for years rather than like seasons. It's just about showing up every day. So the way that we used to train is we would train Monday through Friday. We don't have like a Thursday off. We train Monday through Friday and then Saturday morning is a team training session. And then Sunday is your rest day. So that's kind of the overall week. There's often some additional stuff in there. So I know that my big weakness is generally running or anything long and kind of steady. So sometimes in the mornings, once or twice a week, I'll do an extra session, just depending on like what's coming up. If it's semifinals, there's not usually a lot of running. um, And if it is, it's often on a machine. So it's like, I'll kind of gear my training towards what's coming up and what I know to expect. If it's CrossFit Games, I'm 100% running outside. I'm swimming, I'm riding, I'm like doing all those extra things. In terms of like an actual day, 
I am fortunate enough to not have a job that requires me to be up at a certain time. Like I have to stay up in the evenings till a certain time. Everything is online. And that's one of the big reasons I went online. I kind of shifted my whole life around a schedule that allows, allowed me to train whatever I wanted, being around people that had the same goals as me and being in an environment that just supported everything that I wanted to do with CrossFit. That was when I was single. I was living alone. I was living around the corner from the gym that I wanted to be at where my coach was that had a competition squad that had a bunch of games athletes. It was like all the things that were happening in my life revolved around CrossFit and training. So yeah, I would wake up, I make breakfast. I have a pretty leisurely morning. Like I tend to like to spend my mornings being pretty relaxed and slow. And then I'll do some online work. And then I usually train from two till about four or from four till six. So it's always afternoon, evening. Evening training, and that is purely because it's when everybody else trains. I don't train alone. I know that my intensity and my application and my intentionality with training is always better with other people. And it's quite literally why I follow the program. Otherwise, I would just do my own programming or whatever. But if I can train with a games athlete and have a coach there, then I will 100% do that over training alone. So yeah, I train with the crew and then home and have dinner and, and go to bed. Like very early bedtime, I start shutting down and getting ready for bed about an hour before I want to sleep. I do a lot of reading. It's a pretty... And I don't want to say cruisy, like I still work and I still have a job and it's still a two hour training session. The lifestyle supports a lot of very high recovery. It means that my stress is low. It means that the only thing that really matters for the day is training and applying myself to that. I still get really good work done, but I don't have to do a commute. So there's a lot of things there that pay dividends in terms of my ability to perform, my ability to enjoy and apply myself to training and my ability to recover. Shifting your whole life is a big decision to go completely online. Then when I began mentoring with you, you were in the beginning stages of moving on to do it completely yourself as well. And that gives you even more freedom. That I think is the kind of thing that people run into the roadblocks with. It's like, do I want to shift my entire life for this goal? People that do, those tend to be the people that seem to make it through. I think you're a great example of you do the one percent. You walk the walk, you talk the talk. You are a great example of practicing what you preach. Because of that, it's very obvious that the work you put in is what is creating the results. Like this is not luck. This is not a fluke. Every single day is based around recovery, my training, making money at my job online, and then going to bed. And that's it. I really am glad that you said that. And I'm glad that we got that on this. With that, you are an online coach. Nutrition coaching is a huge, obviously, premise of my show. And how I met you originally was I was lucky enough to mentor with you. It was incredible for me, not only because you're a phenomenal coach, but also your coaching style is very different from mine inherently, especially when I started, I had a really hard time with tough love. I was very much, oh, well, this happened. Okay, well, you just made a mistake. Like, let's try this next time. Like, let's create the strategy. I was very cushy. Like at one point, I remember being on the phone with you as a mentor and you looking over my check-ins and saying to me, you need to fucking chill with the exclamation points. Looking back on that now, it kills me. But with your type of coaching, you are absolutely no bullshit. You are cut and dry, but you still know exactly when to assess the situation and give the little, okay, well, this is clearly happening. So what if we try X, Y, and Z instead? How did you find that line and walk it so well between not letting people get away with their own bullshit and kind of tell themselves stories, but you also are incredibly understanding of when people do need an adjustment or maybe when something isn't working for them. And I always found that the most interesting part of your coaching overall. 
When you maybe were getting started or kind of finding your groove with coaching, did you find that it was always that way? Or did you have to figure out how to walk that line with different clients as you went? Was that just inherent to you? And that kind of comes natural? I think one of the biggest things for me coming into nutrition coaching is that I'd already been CrossFit coaching for a really long time and being a member of seminar stuff, you get your ass kicked on a regular basis with feedback. So mentoring you is kind of like I've been mentored on seminar stuff where they watch me, they give me feedback, they tell me to be better, they tell me to make changes, they spot all the inefficiencies, they spot all the inaccuracies, they call you out on your bullshit. You cannot fake it with seminars. Like you can't pretend to know what you're doing and make guess. Like you have to know exactly what you're doing. You have to be able to back yourself and you have to be really efficient at your job like you have to be an incredibly effective trainer I guess the the laundry list of what makes a good trainer and what makes a good training session when you're training someone is is very clear with regards to like CrossFit coaching and a lot of that carries over and spills into nutrition coaching for kind of obvious reasons so I definitely learned a lot of my coaching style from that and for anyone who's done their level one or level two it's like Man, the coaches there, they are like they're very straightforward, they're very direct, they're very, they're very good at, at telling you what you need to do. One of the big changes for me when I started coaching was I did have to change a lot of my language. So it was like I would use a lot of mitigation, I would soften everything, I would use adjectives, I would ask people to try something or think about doing something. And it was like, hey, fuck, cut it out. Like just tell people what you want them to do. And it was like, man, that filter that has to happen that where you want to be like, hey, let me, let me just give you like I just would love to help you with this and like I think you do a really good job with and it's like hey get to the point like get to the point so what happened for me is I became efficient at delivering the the information that was actually needed when I think people are like man you're like you just don't tiptoe around things like you really get straight there it's like no I just don't soften it I actually I just give it to people the way that they're gonna get it but without any watering down I guess like that's my goal I don't want to water things down so that was one thing like just learning to be very direct and give people actionable stuff like I guess I don't repeat information for the sake of repeating it I don't repeat people's goals I don't repeat what people are actually doing I just tell them hey try this do this and if you can't do it, cool, let's try something else. Hey, did that didn't work? Cool, let's do something else. So it's like, let's be practical, let's be efficient, let's just be transparent about it. And it makes it, I think, sometimes easier because oftentimes if you're softening something, then they'll soften it right back to you. And it's like, hey, if you're direct, they can be direct to you. So you give them permission to be like, hey, this isn't what, or I fucked this up, or I don't like this, or I'm struggling with this because it becomes something that's like comfortable to talk about. Give it to me straight, right? So that was one thing. I know as someone who has been coached for a long time, I really appreciate direct feedback. Like I appreciate like just being told what it is, what I need to do, what I can try to change it with. And then on top of that, I don't ever take anything personally and I don't deliver feedback personally. When I talk to people about problems or issues that they're facing, I talk about the problem and I talk about the issue. I'm never talking about the person. So I can give feedback that's very direct because it's not about them as a person. It's not like, hey, you're wrong. Like what you did didn't work and you need to be better. It's like, hey, this tactic and this strategy that we're trying to use, I don't think it's working very well. Can we try something different? Like I want you to test this out. Let me know how you go with it. So it's never about like how they're performing in them as a person and their identity and whatever that could mean about them. It's just about this is the thing that we're dealing with and the best strategy is going to be the one that works. And we've got to go through all the strategies that don't work in the meantime. That's kind of a few things coaching on seminar staff taught me a lot being direct giving people feedback that gives them permission to be like open about stuff and then coaching people the way that I would want to be coached and then the other thing that I was going to say when you're coaching people I definitely find that you want to give them what they want 
you want to make them feel good and you want to make them happy. You want to keep them feeling okay, but sometimes they need to not feel okay. And sometimes what they need is not what you want to give them. So I think a big shift for me was in the same way that I'm not personal with anyone. I also make sure that I don't give them what I want to make myself feel good. So it's very easy to be like, hey, let me just soften this or let me just make sure that you still like me when I give you feedback. And it's like, that becomes about me. That becomes about how much you like me and what you think about me as a coach. And and God, if you still want to work with me and if you're going to check in with me next week and if you're going to come back to my class, it's like, I don't want it to be about me. I want all the attention and all the focus to be on you. You are the one paying me, first of all. You're the one paying to be here. You're the one here to accomplish your goals. So let's make this about you. And sometimes what I need to tell you is not what you want to hear. And I know it's really hard, but it's the thing that's going to help you progress. That's my approach. And I think when people understand that, that clicks for them. It's like, oh, wow, like you really want this for me. And like, it's hard. Getting hard feedback is hard. But when it comes from somebody that cares, then it's totally okay. People would take the worst feedback ever if they know that it's from someone that cares. I can be an absolute asshole to someone, but if they know it's because I'm really trying to help them, I'm trying to break through with them, I'm I'm on the journey with them, like I'm in their corner, like I'm in the freaking arena with them. They're like, yes, I will do what you say. So it's like, it's that kind of process of, you know what, we have to be okay with telling people what they need, not what we want them to hear. If it's coming from a place because you care about them and you care about their progress, them accomplishing what they need to accomplish, then people are really open to that. You do your approach phenomenally. You know exactly what your approach is. You knowing exactly who you are, exactly where you're coming from, that you are coming from a good place. That was exactly what I needed to learn. That was probably one of the biggest deficits I had. And I think it's something that can be learned, but it gets to a point. I had to shift a lot of the things about my overall interactions. I'm totally a people pleaser. I know that about myself. Mm -hmm. So I had to check myself and exactly what you said. Am I saying this softly to them so that they feel better or that I feel better? And is that going to get us anywhere? Like, no, it's fucking obviously it's not going to the way that you deliver it non-personally. I love that because nutrition is so personal. It's so emotional for so many people. You are not wrong. What you're doing is wrong. Even when people are, oh, I'm fat or I'm this or I'm that they identify with it. And you do a great job of removing that. That's so important to any stage of any journey. If you can remove your morality and your who you are as a person from what you're physically doing to improve yourself, that's, I feel like, half the battle. And I think you also portray that really well online. I know when you post exactly what the fuck you mean. And I'm not confused. I'm not, I don't not know what to do. I don't have no action steps. I know exactly where the fuck you're going with every post you have. And a lot of people, especially in fitness, are not like that. They give you these weird, like metaphorical, strange stories that you're like, okay, what? What, do, what the fuck do I do with that? Like, do I eat this or no? Like, it has to be straight up. Yeah. Eventually, if we get to the point where they continue to miss it and we have to look in and investigate that a little further and it comes out that like they're really struggling in their relationship and their partner doesn't help them with any of the grocery shopping or any of the cooking, it's like, okay, one of the biggest breakthroughs I just had with one of my other clients is I felt like I was lecturing her a lot about like food and her goals and what's going on. And she was always coming back to me with all these problems of like, it's just not working and I'm struggling so much. And it was like, man, what's going on here? And I could just hear like the frustration in her voice. And I felt like just talking at her and I'm like, there's something missing. And the biggest break 
breakthrough we ended up having was nothing to do with food or training. It was that she started doing monthly date nights with her partner and reconnected with her partner. It was the frustrations. Like she felt like she was doing it alone. Like she just felt like she was on her own. She'd lash out at her partner because he just wouldn't pick up groceries or he'd forget shit or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I know you're trying to communicate, but you're lashing out instead. You need to use your words differently. Perhaps rather than only having these mini jabs when he does something wrong that's sarcastic and it's a joke and you think it's funny, but it's actually a little bit of an attack. Maybe start looking at the things that he's doing well. Like, hey, give him a compliment when he actually does something right, rather than always jumping in and seeing when he does something wrong that really upsets you because you've got your goals and they're not aligned with your goals. Like, but he doesn't know that. Like, it's not really communicating and he can't read your mind. So that was one of the first steps that we took. And then it was like, hey, can you guys organize a date like this weekend or next weekend? Like, I know you've got three kids, but tell me when the last time you guys had a conversation without the kids there. And she's like, uh, not in 15 years. And it was just like, oh my God. You know, it's just suddenly like you uncover things and it, you have these breakthroughs that you're like, they're not even related to food or training, but it's right. like, that's really amazing. And it changed everything for her with regards to just how she felt at home and how she felt about herself. Yeah, it just really was this like 180 on like the things that she wanted to make herself happy were. Sometimes it's like you have to realize and give yourself as a coach, like a little bit of feedback on, hey, is what I'm saying actually working? Am I getting the results or do I need to change my tactic? Just as much as we're encouraging people to change their tactics, we have to be able to self-reflect and be like, hey, maybe maybe what I'm saying isn't, isn't resonating. I need to say it in a different way. I need to give them a different approach or... I need to change what I'm doing and I need to shift the focus to something else where I can actually be more productive because what I'm doing is not breaking through. And in the case of like a CrossFit affiliate, I've had the same thing where I've had personalities that I just, I can't get along with them as well, or I just don't click or I don't vibe with them, whatever it is. And I've gone to other coaches or other trainers have been like, Hey, can you be the person that helps really give them coaching feedback? Because I just need to establish a relationship with this person. I'm not doing well giving them feedback right now. They're not super receptive to me. So can you be the feedback person? And I'm just going to build my relationship with them and build some rapport and just build respect and trust. And then maybe after a couple months, then I can start giving them some information and they'll take it from a place of like, oh yeah, I know this person and I trust what they're going to say and they're going to be here to help me rather than like just this fresh coach being like, hey, knees out, man, you suck. It's like, I can just build a, build a relationship. And it's like, I think that's super important. And it's a double whammy. You know, it's, it's a coach being able to know when to give them direct hard feedback and when to be like, hey, do this. If you say you're going to do it, then you need to follow through. And if you don't, then like, we need to talk about that as well as, hey, what's preventing you from doing that? Can we talk about what's getting in the way? What's the challenge? And like, where are you struggling? And how's it impacting your life? It's really, it comes down to how good you are at talking to your clients, how good you are asking questions and how good you are realizing that sometimes the problem is not really the problem. Sometimes it's the symptom of another problem. People can still be emotional with their coaching and they still can connect people and give the feedback that is like, hey, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And like, let's talk about it. And it doesn't always have to be like, all right, well, you fucked up again. You know, <laughs> it's like there are times where people do need that. Like they just need like that friend almost. And it's, you become a bit of an outlet for them. And I think it is important to remember that as much as sometimes what people need to hear is what they need to hear and not necessarily what they want to hear sometimes what they need is that that love that just like acceptance and someone to be like hey it's okay like there it's fine there's going to be bumps along the road and it's all right and you're able to have both sides that parent that's like they can discipline you but they still love you you know (laughs) right just had a conversation with my partner who which we own the gym together and we were talking about obviously covid not the best time to own a gym i don't know if you've heard it's kind of going on (laughs) not great but we were like just chatting about how well we know every single client that's here right now, because we only have, you know, where are the two main people there? I know so much more about every client and it 
does make you a crazy effective coach because you know someone's having a hard time in their relationship that affects everything people that are super unhappy at home or at their job or anywhere that's a massive part of their life it bleeds into things like crazy Mm -hmm. beginning to recognize that and also getting to know all of my members on this extremely deep level that maybe you wouldn't typically get in a bigger group class has been instrumental like everyone that's there right now has made so much progress and so many just little adjustments outside the gym. And when you're on a one-in-one coaching situation, that's what I love about it. I always say it on my intro calls. I'm like, if your aunt's hamster's cousin died, tell me about it. Like, I want to know. Nothing's TMI. It's going to paint a picture for me. When you can kind of get the deeper picture, we all have shit going on and we all have our shit that really gets to us or we have really bad days about and might even be like a constant theme. Getting to know people's constant themes is instrumental in understanding why they do the things they do. That was something I talked with you about briefly, talking about how people grew up with food and how much that affects their adult habits. So if someone grows up and say, you know, they didn't know if dinner was going to be on the table, they didn't know if they were going to have food, or maybe they had a million siblings and they didn't really know if they were going to be full that night. All of a sudden, it's the person that has to finish their plate and they can't waste any food and they're like have an obsession with it. It all translates. And if you can trace it, learning to trace it was one of the biggest things I learned from you, but also just from clients. Like they teach you how important these things are through your coaching. With your no bullshit approach, you are incredibly human. And that is not only attractive in a coach, but as a client, you need to be able to tell your coach shit and you don't make it scary. You're not mad and you tell them what they need to hear, but your understanding of life situations, I feel like is just incredible. It's perspective. It really is. It's perspective. It's perspective. And like you said, we're all just bigger, taller versions of our seven-year-old selves, really, like in every element of life, whether it's like how we eat or our approach to training and challenging ourselves or how we treat other people in relationships, how we communicate as humans. (laughs) We're just like versions of seven-year-olds that have more words to use. (laughs) 100%. And learning that even just about myself, completely unrelated to nutrition, if you can look back and go, what was up with my childhood? That question is going (laughs) to tell you a lot about your own bullshit. Every story you tell yourself makes a lot of sense. So Obviously, I'm raving about your coaching because you taught me so, so much. I just think you are one of the best ones out there. I really do. And I genuinely do mean that. You're on seminar staff. You're competing at the games. You're a huge representative of CrossFit as a brand, as an entity of what it stands for, all of that. Seminar staff specifically, for anybody that doesn't know, seminar staff is the CrossFit games of CrossFit coaching. It is not a position that's offered to Joe Schmo off the street. You have to be an incredible coach and you also have to be incredibly knowledgeable. Those are two different things. What made you want to go that deep into coaching, into CrossFit, into every aspect of this and stick with it for so, so long because you've really lived and breathed this for how many years now? It's 10 years, 10 years now. I've been CrossFitting for 10 years and I've been on staff for seven years. Yeah. Seven wow. Years. 
I'm just an obsessive person. <laughs> like I'm just an obsessive person that when I get into something, I really get into it. And it's been the same way since I was a kid. Like you want to talk about like what I was like as a kid that totally reflects in exactly the way that I do things as an adult. Like I love things. And when I get interested in something, I go down the rabbit hole very deep. Anything that intrigues me, anything that interests me, I just try to soak up all the information I can. And it's not even that I'm trying to get involved. It's that I just want more of it. Like I just really like it. And I'm like, yes, give me more of that thing. Like I'm obsessed. And I just get very excited about things. There's a really cool term called limerence. I guess it kind of comes out of like the non-monogamy kind of polyamory community, funnily enough, which I always love learning new words. And the polyamory community has a ton of new words. And limerence is this feeling of excitement that you experience at the beginning of a relationship. Relationship, but beyond normal excitement. So there's there's new relationship energy and then there's limerence, which is like you become obsessed. And that's how I tend to get about anything new that I'm excited about. I just like to have this experience of like, I just want to know everything. Like, tell me everything. And when I was a kid, it was the same thing with movies or a song that I really liked. I just listened to it over and over. So I just get really into things that's reflected in, in my journey with CrossFit. Like I, I stumbled into CrossFit. I got into it and wasn't really sure, but three months in something clicked and I got it. And I just, I understood the community. I understood the language. I was starting to learn movements and see progress. And I was like, this thing is awesome. I love these people. I love being in this place. It feels like my secret little outlet for like learning a new skill and trying new things and being challenged. And it was like, Oh my God, let me get more of this. And I want it. I want to improve. So I was in it for the CrossFit, just the recreational fitness initially. That was what excited me. Like I was a pretty active kid. I, I never played any like competitive sports or wasn't on any team sports, but I did like martial arts and some gymnastics and was just strong. So I kind of came into CrossFit with some strength, which was helpful because I did progress quickly. So I think that part of the process made it really enjoyable as well. And then I started coaching and that was the first thing that I was like, I always knew that I would be good at telling other people how to do something. And I, I don't know, I just was like, I was just a overconfident young, early 20 something year old, like just being like, yeah, I'm good at this. <laughs> and so I started coaching and I really enjoyed that. And I just loved helping people. And I felt like I understood movement in a way that allowed me to give people insight into learning the movement that would help them get better at it quickly. So that was something that I really enjoyed, like finding ways to help people get better that they hadn't found from somebody else before that somebody else couldn't give them. So I really got into the coaching and one of the girls that was at the gym in actually Los Angeles when I was living there she did her level one and came back to me and was like man you need to be one of those coaches like you should be on staff you are one of those coaches that's what I see and I was what like, a compliment oh my gosh I know that's like, I was like, that's like the best, best compliment ever, ever. Yeah. best friend ever um and I was like you know what that's kind of cool and I was thinking or planning on going back to Australia or New Zealand actually at the time because my visa was about to expire and I wasn't going to stay on and I was like oh you know what maybe when I'm back there I'll do it and then another friend of mine thank god I had friends that kicked my ass was like man what do you mean you'll wait get on their radar now like message them now get ahead of yourself like a few months ahead of yourself and then when you're in New Zealand or Australia you can start the process properly but like man contact them now like why would you wait and I was like oh my god you're so smart Yes. So I literally just reached out to CrossFit. I'd only had my level one for maybe a year and then contacted them just being like, hey, tell me more about the process of getting on staff. I'd love to just find out what, what how it works. Um, and fortunately for me, they had, you know, very little seminar staff in Australia and New Zealand um, and very few female staff. So finding female trainers is pretty hard. They got me straight onto a level two. They got me interning while I was still in the US. And then when I was back in New Zealand, I finished my internship in Australia. So the internship process is basically sitting on the level ones over the weekend and I did four of them and then I was recommended for uh, uh, the job. It was a process that took about six months. Um, it was pretty hard. So I, I mentioned earlier, like, you know, you get your butt kicked, like you get a lot of feedback and you have to deal with 
are very harsh critiques that are meant to help you, but you also have to figure it out yourself because you're essentially trying to get the job. So they're not training you. Like the training happens once you've got the gig. You have to show that you have the skill. So you have to go in and be a badass coach, know what you're doing, give people a good time, like entertain and and inspire and educate. And you have to actually have coaching skills. So that process was probably one of the more stressful experiences of my coaching career where over six months I was trying to figure out how to implement this feedback and how to be better and how to change. And I went through a couple of different series of like, I'd have people come into the gym and I would coach them like in the format of the level one breakout groups. And then I would have small groups come in and just do free sessions with me. Like I was basically running mini level ones at my gym with people that would just come in for free and then applying things that I'd changed in the environment of having someone watch me do it. And the people that I'm training are people paying for the level one. So that was a long process. It was hard. It was challenging to get used to being told that you suck (laughs) a lot. Like, hey, man, what what did you do? That didn't work. Why did you do that? Were you bullshitting? Were you making it up on the spot? And you'd be like, oh, oh God. And they're like, don't fucking lie to me. And you're like, "I, I made it up. I'm sorry. And they're like, okay, good. Now you're making progress. Let's figure out how you can actually identify the problem, give them the cue and actually see if it makes a difference. Like rather than fucking making it up. Like if they haven't changed, don't say good job. Like don't say well done. Don't say that was better. Don't say perfect. Because if they haven't actually changed anything, Thing. you're doing nothing but leading them to believe that they're making improvement and that your feedback is always going to be good like it just doesn't it doesn't work in terms of helping people get better so that was really full-on and and even if I hadn't got on staff I think that would have been one of the biggest changes in me as a coach that whole internship process fortunately I did get on staff so that was when I really dove in as a coach and I really didn't think I was an athlete I was like no no I'm not an athlete like I'm a coach like how eh, like I'm, I'm okay not that good and it was really just an excuse to not have to try I think that holds people back a lot people just don't want to try because they're afraid of failing so we tend to find ourselves living a life where we just don't try and I think that that's probably the biggest failure it's like hey try and fail or just don't try like which one's the failure really and that's a big piece of competing like you have to get used to being okay with I'm going to try my ass off I'm going to put all like go all in and I'm going to risk that I'm not going to get there and I'm going to be okay with that so and there's these conversations that I've had with my athletes of like some of them are like man do you think I'm really going to get there like do you think it's worth it I'm like of course and it's not worth it because I think you're going to get there it's worth it because it means that you don't sit on your ass living a life of mediocrity because you're like ah I don't think I'll get there why would you only do something if you think you're going to get there? Like there's so much value in applying yourself and putting an effort and trying to strive towards a big fuck off scary goal. There's so much growth that comes from that. But people, if they can't get the result, if they can't get the goal, if they can't get the objective, they won't even begin that process. And it's like, man, like the value was not in accomplishing the goal. The value was in the work that you do to accomplish the goal and the person that you can become and the things that you can potentially get out of that, regardless of what, what happens at the end. So that was a big shift for me going from coach to athlete. And I mentioned my mentor earlier, he was someone that was my sounding board for stuff that was going on with uh, the gym that I was working at, with my own training, with my own goals, with people that I was working with and stuff that was just happening in life in general. Like I just found someone that I was able to sit down with and just talk to and he'd give me very good advice. So he was the one that ended up being my training partner and I shifted into being an athlete and it was, hey, you got to be all in. Like, don't be half-assing this. Like, don't be like, oh, I'll just, you know, do the programming and that'll be it. It's like, no, you don't qualify for the CrossFit Games and then become a games athlete. You have to be doing all the things that a games athlete does in order to get to the CrossFit Games. So that was when it was like food, sleep, training, everything. My whole life, the people I was hanging out with, not going out on the weekends, not partying. It was just like, you know what? I really want this. Like, I really want this. And you start to see the progress and it's hard. Like there are always good days and bad days, you know, 50% good and 50% bad. Like you can't avoid that. 
yeah, I, I think the journey to becoming an athlete was so much just a mental shift because I, I was such a, I was a coach for such a long time and that was my identity. So I had to assume the identity of a CrossFit Games athlete to kind of get, get myself there. But yeah, the, the CrossFit coaching stuff, I will always fall back to that because I just enjoy what started me on that journey of like, I think I'm good at translating information to help people, putting it in a way that that clicks for them. That's a light bulb for them. Like, I think I could say stuff and I think I get the movement in a way that will help them get it better. So yeah, long story. <laughs> That's kind of been my journey. I was like just the recreational CrossFitter. I started coaching and then I started interning. I got on staff. My progress as a coach has been crazy since I've been on staff because you just, you're constantly getting feedback. That is like the best answer. The way you talk about kind of assuming the different personas is huge. I've seen quite a few coaches talk about this. And then Claire, who worked with us, she talked a lot about it to me because I definitely am someone that struggles with assuming a persona that when I was first starting off coaching, she was like, you have to assume this persona of authority and that you know what you're talking about. You have the knowledge. You now have to portray that you have it. I think that I've taken that and put it into so many areas of my life. You (laughs) kind of shifting from athlete persona, coach persona, all of those different things, but you're coming from the same background experience. Do you think they played into one another in a really good way because you had so much knowledge or do you think it was harder to be coached? I enjoy being coached. Like I think I'm definitely better in terms of being coached. Uh, well, it depends on who the coach is. Like I definitely, <laughs> I struggle with people that uh, try to coach me that are not like actually trying. So people that are coaches, but don't put an effort with their training. Cause I guess, I guess it's kind of like I was, it's like your coach and you don't try with training. You just do the bare minimum. And it's like, that frustrates me because I'm like, man, like you should be putting in effort. Like if it is cool. And I think there's this concept of like, ah, zero fucks. Like, no, I don't care. Like whatever. And I'm like, no, man, like you got to try. And so I, I tend to get frustrated with people that are like that if they don't try, but they try to coach. And then I also get frustrated with people that coach, but don't have a lot of knowledge or don't have a lot of experience. And not to say that like, I only want to be coached by like people that are, you know, on seminar stuff or something, but there's people that Yeah, I think that they don't have a good handle on coaching. And usually this will happen in a CrossFit affiliate that I'm dropping into. Like, or if I'm traveling somewhere that people don't know who I am, I don't know who they are. And they just coach me. And I'm like, man, like there's some coaches out there that think they're real big dogs. And I'm like, you, (laughs) you have no idea what you're doing. (laughs) So that kind of thing, like I can get quite irritated with that. But it's, that's often just my own personal bias of being like, I obviously do come from a place where I've got a lot of experience. I've been exposed to some phenomenal coaching. So when I see coaching, that's a little bit just maybe subpar. I'm a bit like, oh, this is hard. This is hard to watch. It's like, but no, I think I'm pretty receptive to coaching in general. And even if it's coaching that I don't particularly like, I will be receptive and open to it. Coaching is a lot about kind of attitude for you. Like you have to be putting in the effort to be a good coach and you have to have the knowledge behind it. And I was kind of wondering how your experience kind of, as you said, like on seminar staff and you're like, I I know my shit, dude, like don't talk down to me type thing. I was wondering, how does that play into it? I don't think it's pretentious to say that you do know a lot more than a lot of coaches and you've been doing this for a hot minute. It must at some point, like you said, get a little frustrating when you have, you know, 18 year old kid CrossFit coach or whatever the situation is, is sort of not those guys are always good. Funnily enough, the guys that are brand new, they're always lovely. They're always trying. It's the guys that have been doing it for a while that are older 
that like, and girls, I won't say just guys, like anyone who's been coaching for a while and thinks that they're sorted, thinks that they're done, thinks that they've done the work and they don't need to learn anymore and they don't really need to try anymore. The new people, newer coaches are like the best, the best coaches ever. Like I prefer to work with someone who's a brand new level one and someone who's had their level one for like four and a half years. I'm like, oh God, geez, all right, one of these guys. It's like in jujitsu, people talk about the blue belts being the most dangerous because the white belts are willing to learn and make mistakes. But when you're blue belt, they think they're badass and they think they've got it all figured out. And then it's not until they get to purple that belt that they're like, oh God, I know nothing. <laughs> so it's like, you've got that learning, that bell curve of learning where if you go through that phase of like, I know nothing, I'm brand new. And like, I, I just, I'm going to, I'm just going to make mistakes. And it's part of it to getting to the next level where you're like, oh, I'm a pro. I am so good at this. And then you get beyond that. And you're like, I know absolutely nothing. I need to go back to the beginning. And that's when you, that's where you get, you know, the really good coaches. The other thing that I was going to say that you just reminded me of is in terms of coaching myself, one really big shift that had to happen for me is I can be very perfectionist in my movement. And we spend a lot of time purely in seminars, like refining the demonstration of the movement. Like I've spent hours fixing my air squat and fixing my push press and changing my sumo to the because we have to spend an hour on the box demoing it every time we have a level one. So a really hard thing for me was my technique, and we talk about this in level one, our technique and our intensity, we have a bit of a threshold. Um, and my technique would be always the priority for me. And so I would let intensity drop away. Something that had to happen was I had to allow technique to break down more in order to increase my intensity. Now, that's not to say that I was just rounding my back out and deadlifts and I was just on my toes and more balls and I was moving like absolute balls. It just meant that my perfectionist side had to let go of not always being perfect. So it's little things like in wobbles, I don't necessarily sit my hips back and down. I'll often let my knees push forward. So it's a knee initiated squat instead of a hip initiated squat, which is very, very minor. But in my brain, I'm like, I know this is not the way I really want to do it. <laughs> so it's like I had to let go of some of those attachments to like perfect movement and technique in order to allow my intensity to increase. And what really happens over the long term of that is it's not just about dropping off technique. It's about pushing the intensity up until technique breaks down. And then you push the, in the technique up to meet the level of intensity. And then again, you raise the intensity until the technique breaks down and you push the technique back up to meet it. And you're constantly having this back and forth, this little battle of, I need to be at a really high intensity to the point where I cannot maintain perfect form. And if I'm not there, I'm not pushing it into high intensity or at enough intensity. And so efficiency in movement comes from forcing yourself at intensity to move as well as you possibly can and in fact improve faults and improve mistakes as you're going. Often people make the mistake of in training, they slow down and they take all the weight off because they're like, I'm just going to work on technique today. And it's like, well, okay, you're going to get really good at just the technique on its own in absence, complete absence of intensity. And that's great. But when you introduce just a small amount of intensity, what happens to your technique? You have no idea because you've only practiced technique in isolation. You actually need to combine it in order to be able to be efficient in a workout, not just on its own when you're practicing drills in the driveway or not just when you're doing a deadlift with no weight on the bar. That's still beneficial and still super fundamental and mastering the basics is important. However, to build intensity and technique, you must have both of them at the same time, be balancing them out. And that's, that's what a good coach is also going to have their eye on. You know, it's like the ability to see that someone could actually go faster because their movement is like 
perfect and so nice. It's like, hey, I don't know if you're pushing as hard as you possibly could. And then what you find is like the very best athletes that are, you know, the games athletes are super efficient because their technique is on point. They make minimal mistakes. There still will occasionally be a mistake, but they correct it themselves because they know how to, while they're moving, make those adjustments. So it's like, you'll see like in the snatching at the CrossFit Games, they'll make a mistake, but they'll say that, you know, at max weight or like in some of the, any event, like you can find those athletes that are just borderline on that edge of their intensity is so high and they're pushing so so hard and they'll make a mistake but they can fix it and it's like if, if you have someone that can balance technique and intensity you will go so far with this sport i have like the old quote of crossfit on 100 words i want that yeah. put next to it in my <laughs> affiliate that was phenomenal i completely agree and i also think when i'm coaching especially like brand new athletes i do put such an emphasis on you have to learn this shit you cannot just throw 45s on both sides and hope for the best because I came from a gym that really didn't make me do that. And they're like, let's try it. See what happens. And because of it, because of it, I'm fixing my squat still five years later and trying to undo bad habits. But at some point, I now have to practice those things with a near max squat on my back if I still want to move well with that weight. And now I'm finding that I'm just as quote unquote strong, but it's it's really not strength. It feels so much better to do it with the same weight. It feels almost lighter because I was never using my legs in a squat. Like it all adds up, but you do, you have to get there at some point. Once you have that foundation, like you said, having the ping pong of back and forth, add a little intensity, kind of improve technique. I also think that if more people dropped a little bit of ego, but also were willing to look a little stupid, that is really hard to do. It's hard to try something and be like, okay, well, I don't actually know if I can move this that well. Or like, I don't actually want to try a muscle up because like, what if I like fling myself off the bar? That's hard. And I also found that when I began, especially interning as a coach, I would no longer practice things I was really bad at when the members were around and I caught myself Mm -hmm. doing it. And I had to sort of think about it. Like, is someone not going to take my advice because I like chicken winged a muscle up? Is that actually what I'm worried about right now? Or should I be worried about learning? Mm -hmm. And it's sort of when you say that and you highlight the importance of both, it has to come together. So I completely agree. I really like that. Yeah, You just said some really nice things there. I think exactly what you're talking about with the journey that people have to take, like the disclaimer to intensity being the one thing that we need is that you must also apply mechanics then consistency, then intensity. Like for anyone that comes into the gym, whether you know you have a games athlete that walks in or someone who's brand new off the street that walks in, it's like they still have to demonstrate the mechanics of the movements being accurate. They still have to show that they can be consistent and show up day to day and do the reps the same day to day. And then they can apply the intensity. And then that's when the intensity becomes the priority. But if they haven't got that other stuff, you know, it's still so important. And then I love what you said about looking stupid. Like you have to be willing to look stupid. And I think what it is, is it's like, we have to be willing to fail. It's that same thing that carries over. It's a theme in, in everything. It's like you have to be willing to fail and it's at both ends of the spectrum so it's not only with learning something new you have to be willing to look a little silly and look stupid and put an effort and fail and fuck it up and it's okay and no one's really paying that much attention to you anyway because they're so worried about themselves right (laughs) and then the other end of the spectrum where it's like in a workout pushing hard and really hurting and getting to the point you can't do another rep like you have to be able to push to that point where you fail like can you get that can you do that can you find your ceilings so to speak of like your intensity and your capacity because you got to be able to 
fuck up at both ends. And, and that's when you find out where you are. And that's when you understand yourself. Yeah, I think I, I just love what you just said. It was just so nice. Thank you. Yeah, it's hard to look stupid. And I especially when we opened our affiliate, I had a massive insecurity because of the situation. I very much knew that I was not the coach I wanted to be working in sort of this manager, more authoritative, more classes position. And because of that insecurity with my coaching, I sort of felt the need to prove things other way. Like, oh, like, look, but like, I'm decently strong. But like, look, like I can do this. Looking back, it's just this insane fear. It's just an insecurity. As you said, it's something that it has nothing to do with anybody else. No one else is paying attention. No one else gives a shit. You're the only person that generally cares about you. And then I also (laughs) always say the people that notice are the people that are insecure about it within themselves. It's never the person that has never had a weight problem and has never cared about a diet and never judging people on their weight. It's never that person. It's the person that's been obsessed with it their whole life. When you can kind of remember that if someone is judging you, it's because it's their problem too. It yeah, it yeah. helps a little bit. And it's something you have to, again, dig deep. Like what happened to you as a kid? What happened to me as a kid? That I'm like <laughs> yeah. so afraid of Tell this. me about your school self. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, it's, it's really hard to do that. But I think one of the coolest things that I've seen from people that become coaches is the people that can have confidence, even if they can't do something, are often the best coaches. Because if you talk to an athlete that, Let's say you're working with a, a semifinal athlete or a games athlete and they try and teach you a muscle up. It's like, they're like, hey, just hop on and do it. That's <laughs> how I learned. Just jump up there and do a little swing, you know, and you'll, you'll just pull yourself over. And it's like, they don't have the skills or the tools because they've never had to use them. And when you have a coach that has actually had to go through months, if not years of progressions and building the prerequisite strength and the stability in the shoulder, and then they've had a niggle with their elbow and then they've had this happen and then they finally get it and then they lose it for a month and then they get more and then they can finally do like five. It's like that journey when you can coach someone from that, like, man, you have so much valuable information. That's what people actually want. The people that need information need the coach that have had to do it. Like, it's like, I love having this conversation even on the level ones, people are like, oh man, I don't have a muscle up. I want a muscle up like that one day. And I'm like, oh, it's taking you a while to get one. Good. That's what you want. You want that information. You want that struggle because you're going to get all the good things that you need to give to other people. Yeah. For nutrition coaching, I always say that I'm good at nutrition coaching because I was so terrible at my own nutrition. I really struggled yeah. with yeah. eating. I Right? And I really struggled with, I tried every single diet and I failed and I was uncomfortable with my body and I had disordered eating and I went through all of these things that did not work. And I was so broken and lost at points and I've been there and I've been in those shoes. I've had clients, the feel feedback that I get is that I'm very good at more like philosophical style coaching or however you want to say it. Like, I'm like, okay, like let's reframe this. Like, think about this this way. What if we like thought about this in this way, or we tried to reframe how you think about X, Y, or Z. And that's the side I'm good at because that's what I had to do. You know, I didn't know the breakdown of fiber and how it works in your digestive system at 12 years old. I did know what South Beach was at 12 years old. That is an issue. And because of that issue, I had to go through it myself. I love that you said that. That is so friggin' important. I love that. Yeah, a nice parallel between like nutrition coaching. I think that's super important as well. It's like, you can kind of see that with anyone that's a good teacher. The best teachers are the ones that have had to go through all that stuff themselves. You know, it's like, they're the ones that you want to learn from. 
Absolutely. 100%. So the last thing I had, I did put up an Instagram Q and A. Are you up for a few quick questions? I'm ready. I'm beautiful. Give it to me. <laughs> okay. Jaren asks, what are things that competitors do that the average CrossFitter shouldn't do? Probably trains when they could do with a rest day. So when I consider what my volume looks like when I'm training competitively versus when I'm not, there's the maximum recoverable dose for a competitor. And that's literally on the brink of breaking sometimes when you need a rest day, you want time off, but you really can't afford to lose that day. Every day is really important. And every session that you get is is like a very important piece of the puzzle. Now, that's not to say that I didn't take rest days when I needed to. And more and more as I've gotten older, I certainly do. Like I've relaxed around that a lot because I still know what's the most valuable sessions are and what I can't miss, but I know what I can miss. Then the other end of the spectrum is the minimum effective dose, which is what most recreational athletes need and what I use most of the time. The minimum effective dose is the bit that allows you to sustain your training output to minimize risk of injury and just to like enjoy the process. Like you just enjoy it. The more that it's not killing yourself every day. It's like just getting the stuff that you know that you need to get done and you get in and you get out and it's like your whole world doesn't have to revolve around training for that day. So understanding when you are at minimum effective dose and it's actually effective and it's working and it's getting the results is super important because I think people feel like they need to be doing more. And it's like, hey, if you're getting results, you're exactly where you need to be. Just keep doing what you're doing. The maximum effective dose is the thing that can start to put you on the edge of like just injury niggles, like not feeling good, not enjoying it. I often find that people that are not enjoying training are often too close to maximum dose than minimum effective dose. And they just need to dial it back Um, or sometimes just change the sport, like just having a little bit of a change and adjustment. But yeah, I think just being aware of how much you're dosing yourself up with your training. A competitive athlete has to be maximum. Just a regular general pop, like someone who just enjoys it, should be minimum. Even to the point where if you feel like you want to be in the gym more, that's a really good space to be in because people burn out just from like, they, like I said, just not enjoying it because they've done it too much. They've just like burnt themselves out mentally and emotionally with the gym because they just their life's revolved around it when they're not a competitor. They're just there to train for fun. It's like, man, the minimum effective dose will leave you wanting more. And as long as you're wanting more, that's a really good space to be in. So if you're someone that like kind of wants to do double sessions because you just love being at the gym, fucking don't. Don't do a double session. Just save it until the next day. Just save it. Just wait. And I know you really want to go back to the gym, but that's such a good place to be in because you fucking love it so much and you will quickly burn out of that love if you give yourself too much of a dose up on sessions and intensity and training and all that kind of stuff. And that that applies with anything in life. When you really want more, don't give yourself more because being in that place of wanting it is a really nice place to be. This leads into the next question. And I think you, if I remember correctly, I saw on your Instagram, you did this recently, maybe not from burnout, but you said that you had not had like a tried and true training session since May. And this was a more recent post. And I thought that was a really cool thing to put out because people are under the impression that even if you are a competitor, that you train seven days a week, 365 days a year. And I have to, I find myself telling my clients a lot, Hey, like, do you know what Matt Frazier does after the games? Like nothing, nothing. He does nothing. He does as little as possible. And so the next question is from Ellen tips on how to not get burnt out from CrossFit. I always do this to myself after a few months. And I think this kind of is right on par. 
It's like, if you're getting to the point where you're burnt out, then you've done too much too soon and too small of an amount of time or a time frame. So you need to be doing less to the point where you're left wanting more. Like that is such a key to anything that you enjoy. Let's like always stop right before you're done. It's actually something that I, I loved about the CrossFit Kids course. They teach us how to play games with the CrossFit Kids. And it's one of my favorite things. And God, it's one of those things where you're like, man, this just applies to life. Like, holy crap. But when they run games for the warmups, they're like, okay, Never let the game keep going until it dies. You must stop the game like at its peak. And that's the big theme with like training in general. It's like, just stop or yeah, anything that you enjoy. It's just this funny thing where it's like, it has this big carryover, but yeah. Um, And then I think the other thing with like burnout is be aware of the signs and listen to yourself. And I think sometimes we might put pressure on ourselves to meet certain expectations or feel like we have to do certain training. And if it's written down, we must do all of it. You know, you can go into the gym and do 50%. And that's okay. Like I have these conversations with people where like, they're like, I'm really tired and I just got done with work late. And like, I just, do I just like, should I just scrap the gym? And, or like, I have to go in and do like two hours. And I'm like, okay, what if you go in and do a half hour, like 30 minutes? And they're like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's a good idea. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't have to be like you do freaking hours and hours of training and like hitting your head against the wall. It's like, no, you could, you could just go in and do one element of the session. Like that's pretty good. That's a really nice approach. Go in and do a little bit. It doesn't have to be, I either go in and I do everything as written and it's perfect and I don't miss a single thing or I don't go in at all. It's like, hey, just go in and pick the thing that you want to do. Pick up on the signs of burnout earlier, especially if you've already experienced it. That means there's the pattern. So you should be able to start recognizing, hey, are you putting too much pressure on yourself? Are you feeling tired? Are you making sacrifices in other areas of your life? Are you going in and doing more volume just for the sake of it? Or is there a natural goal that you're working towards? Like, unless you're going to the Olympics or the games, like maybe you need to dial that back a little bit. And then, yeah, like I said, hey, just just be okay with not doing everything and, and pick the things that they're good. Like for me, when I'm out, out of training, like I just do a class, I just do an hour session and it usually has a bit of lifting and a workout. And it's like, that's perfect. That's exactly what I need. And yeah, like you mentioned with Matt Fraser, like he takes two weeks or three weeks or something to like, just eat ice cream and like do nothing. <laughs> it's a, it's a good lesson to learn from uh, the best. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think a lesson I learned late. And I think a lot of people learn it late. I found that my minimum effective dose is so low, even to just maintain, like to just maintain, to get better, it's low. I can do very little and maintain everything that I've done so far. And I was shocked. And this is my partner coaches me. So it's a fun dynamic of, oh, screw you. You have no idea what you're talking about. Like it's very back and forth (laughs) because I obviously he's, he's, I love him to death, but he is my coach as well. And he's like, you don't need to do that much. Like you have a lot going on right now or whatever it is for the past two ish months. I've done very, very little. And yet nothing's really gone to shit. You do have to learn it for yourself. I think at some point you get to a point where you're either going to try to learn it for yourself or you're going to be forced to learn that for yourself. Or if you push past that point, you're going to be peace out from fitness forever. And that does happen, which really sucks to see. Yeah, I think people need evidence, right? Like if they haven't experienced themselves, they don't have the evidence to believe that yet. So it's like, it happens with training. Like they don't believe that a little bit can be beneficial because they think that they need more to be better. And so like you've experienced, it's like two months of not being able to do much. Like I think lockdowns probably taught a lot of people that they can kind of take care of themselves still without maybe necessarily having access to the gym or like being able to squat super heavy every day. It's like, you can still like maintain fitness and be healthy and take care of yourself. And then with eating, it's like when you're trying to get people to eat more food, that's really hard because people cannot overcome the fear of gaining weight or just like suddenly waking up obese. And you're like, like you've done 
take two months, don't track, just eat according to hunger. And they'll tend to eat more. And it's like suddenly when they haven't added on like 20 pounds of weight overnight, they're like, oh, okay. Oh, I actually do okay eating more. Oh, wow. And I'm like, yeah, like think people have these like theories or speculations that are just not grounded in evidence. Like it's just all kind of made up and it's just based on their fears rather than the reality. And they're more willing to listen to their fears than test it and actually find out what's true and what's not. You know, it's like, hey, let's all just turn into scientists around like our beliefs about ourselves and actually start testing them rather than just believing in them. Like, okay, yep, that's the way it is. I've learned this from when I was young and that's just it. Like, I'm just going to gain weight if I stop tracking. That's just, that's what's going to happen. It's like, no, like, why don't you test that? And then come back to me with the evidence and tell me what happened. <laughs> exactly. And we all tend to think, I think we're, that we're the exception to the rule. Like science had a party yes. and forgot to invite us that we're different. Like, oh no, like I can't, no, like I would know that you would maintain your progress like that's that's totally different me though. I'm the kind of oh, person that that's how that always starts that narrative that self-limiting story or whatever it is it's like oh I'm the kind of person that blah 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 and you can use that against yourself like some of the great affirmations that I've learned from Rob Forte who's my coach now is he constantly uses language to reinforce the behavior he's trying to instill or implement for someone who's trying to eat more I'm the kind of person that can actually eat more and just maintain my weight and that's literally what I say I'm like oh I have a top-notch weight of like I will get to about 79 80 kilos and I don't go any heavier like I just don't I can eat so much food and like not train and I just kind of like sit there now that I've lost muscle it's sitting lower and I'm still not eating that well right now like with lockdown and I'm not training that much so I'm like my weight's really low and it's kind of weird but it's like I'm the kind of person that my weight won't increase that much beyond like what I know because that's what I've experienced with eating like thousands and thousands of calories every single day for extended periods of time and with training like I'm the kind of person that will always train throughout their life like I know that I will do that and and my narrative around that is based around my parents my parents are really active and I'm the kind of person that and when you can start to use that against yourself be like, I'm the kind of person that sometimes when I'm tired or emotional, I'll eat some maybe less nutritious food. But majority of the time, like I'm actually really good at cooking for myself. Maybe that's not the case. But when you start talking about that, and you start saying that out loud, and you start using that language, that can help you create that behavior pattern. And it's like, that's a really fun tool to use just totally against yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, that we already kind of talked about it. It's like, you have to believe that you're the type of person that can make the games or you have to believe yeah. that you're the type of person yeah. that takes the yeah. stairs. It doesn't yeah. even have to yeah. be that crazy. I am the type of person that eats things that make me feel good. I am the type of yeah. person that doesn't skip, you know, gym sessions for no reason. I think it's yeah. super, super important. And shout out to Claire because she really did a number on me with this. She did yeah. great. Yeah, I gotta so get her just, on the show. She's I, so I love, cute. Like, I love her. simple lines where it's like, I'm the kind of person that does the hard option. And sometimes that could be taking the stairs and sometimes that could be cooking instead of ordering in. It's like, I'm the kind of person that likes a challenge. I'm, I'm the kind of person that thrives under pressure. That's something I always say about me when I compete. I'm the kind of person that thrives on the floor. And it's not necessarily that I am, like, it's just that I know I always do better in competition, like every single time to, to the point where when I'm training for competition and I'm not doing well in training, my coach is like, no, nah, I don't care. doesn't matter because what happens on the floor when you're competing is like usually like a 20% increase of what you've done in training. I think like I, I like to perform. I like to be in front of people. I like having people watching me because I turn it on. That's become such a big part of my narrative. And I really, really capitalize on that so that I know that, hey, sometimes training isn't that great. But I have the fitness, I have the capacity, I just have to turn it on mentally. And when I'm on the competition floor, I can do that. Um, and that's when I, you know, do whatever happens on the competition floor. With my lifting, I always PB on the floor. With workouts, it's always a PB. I just do better in competition because I've sold myself on that narrative so many fucking times. Okay, so Joe asks, what is the biggest mistake you see people make outside of the gym that ruins their progress within the gym? 
I want to get real basic with this. And I actually believe it's alcohol, like people drinking alcohol to help them sleep, to unwind, to relax, to just chill out, to have some downtime, to finish off the evening, whatever it is. I drink alcohol. Like I'm not like someone that doesn't drink alcohol, but when I do that, it's self-destructive. It's always self-sabotaging. Like it just feels like it's not beneficial to me in any way. I just started doing a little bit of looking into it a couple of years ago around like what's alcohol's function in our culture and in our society and like, you know, in our just social rituals, like what does it, what does it do for us? And it doesn't really do anything except for provide a crutch for people to build confidence or to feel relaxed when they can't do it themselves. And then it also gives us something to do to be preoccupied in social situations that are often awkward or uncomfortable and people don't feel at ease. So it gives you something to just do. And then the other thing is that we're sold by the alcohol industry and the food industry that we need these things and that we can moderate ourselves when in fact we can't because our ability to judge moderation is completely impaired the moment that we start drinking. It's like, it's just such a fucked up backward, the the way that it's marketed to people and the way that it's controlled. And like in Australia, we've been locked down, you know, Melbourne, we've been locked down for coming up a year and a half. And like the bottle shops have always been open. And this is the time when people don't need alcohol the most and yet everything else is closed but bottle shops is somehow essential I'm just like that's so fucked up like that is such a perfect demonstration of the role that alcohol plays in our society and our culture especially in Australia that when everything is shut because we are in a pandemic like quite literally in a pandemic that is shutting down the entire world they'll keep alcohol stores open I'm just like (laughs) there's some more reasons and deeper stuff that goes in behind some of those decisions but it's just like it's a good example of the fucked up shit that goes on and and the hole that we've dug for ourselves as a society. So I think alcohol is one of the first things to get rid of. You know, it doesn't have to be cold turkey. Like I think sometimes being too restrictive is a problem, but I think you've got to become aware of what are you using alcohol for? Is it a social lubricant? Is it the thing that helps you unwind at night? Can you replace what alcohol is associated with, with something else? Can you, for me, going out and drinking water or drinking like soda water with lime in it, that was me going out and like I had a drink, but I wasn't drinking alcohol. Like I do that all the time now. Like I just, I literally never ordered alcohol. I just order soda water with lime and it looks like alcohol. Nobody asks me about it. No one challenges me on it. Nobody asks me why I don't drink, whatever. And nobody shames me for it. First of all, like, I think that's another problem. People get shamed if they don't drink doing it. Like, Hey, can I go out and have water and socialize without alcohol? Yes. So I 1000% agree. And this is not my original thought, but I, I heard this somewhere. I totally forget who said it. If you tell people you had to stop drinking instead of you don't drink, people ask less questions. So that's a good one. I yeah. Love that. yeah. 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 Like just giving them <laughs> like a little that. mysterious. Yeah. And I give the soda water with a lime thing to so many people. Yeah. That is a super helpful tip. Yeah. I tell people that I don't drink and people don't question it. So rather than like, I'm not drinking tonight or like, I don't want to drink tonight. I say, I don't drink. And it's like, that's another identity thing. Like I assume the identity of someone that doesn't drink. And when I say that, and when I act like I'm someone that doesn't drink, it's like, well, that night I'm not drinking because I have to show people the identity that I've just told them I am. Like I can't like say like, I don't drink and then go and order a like couple of vodka spritzes. Like it's just no. <laughs> so yeah, talking about language, it's like, I don't drink. And even though I do on occasion, like I tell people in general, I don't drink. And it's a hard boundary. And I like that. It's very direct. Yeah. Last one. Kay asks, what do you plan to do after you're completely done competing? Will you still do CrossFit recreationally or will you want to try other modalities? I will CrossFit for the rest of my life. I truly believe that CrossFit is the thing that will 
one, continue to allow me to build, if not just maintain muscle as I age. It gives me functional flexibility. So it's like get down on the ground and get back up again. Like I think that's super important for me. And then just general like cardiovascular conditioning, strength, flexibility, and conditioning. Like in terms of the pillars that you want to sustain or build or have throughout your life, those three are pretty fucking good. (laughs) So I love it. And also the social element, like it really helps me exercise my social muscle. And I, I love being around people and people that are healthy as well. You know, like generally speaking, like you get a community of people that work out and they take care of their health. And it's like your motivation is kind of taken care of. Like you're, you're surrounded by people that do it and it becomes kind of the norm, which is I think what's so important about having the right environment. It's like, what's your norm? If you're the only person trying to do it in a group of people that don't, then the normal is not what you're doing. The normal is what they're doing. So it's like being an environment where the norm is going after your goals, trying hard, eating well training and lifting weights and then the other thing that I really enjoy right now is triathlons so like I've been competing in CrossFit for quite a long time I've just started getting to triathlons it's a very similar feel like it's like a community there are tri squads everyone hangs out there's a lot of socializing it's great in terms of like strength and conditioning and it's very very good for endurance obviously but it's just something different so I think doing something new like the triathlons is it for me right now with regards to competing like I'm super excited about this stuff because it's just so novel to me and I feel like a total beginner again but I will do CrossFit I will literally the day I die I want to wake up and like do grace or something you know like <laughs> I'm like I want to be crossfitting for my entire life I want to be the oldest person in the gym like I want to be like the grandma that their grandkids at school are like oh my grandma lifts barbells you know like I just want to be a weightlifter for my entire life I will lift until the day I die <laughs> like I really believe that that is the key a good quality of life dependent living and just longevity in general I will always do CrossFit because it is the best thing for that. I absolutely agree. And it's so funny because now there's a lot about like, you know, people that have driven their bodies into the ground with CrossFit and it's just like so bad. Like, but my whole thing, anytime anybody asks me about that, like, oh, I saw like, you know, so-and-so posting about like they screwed up their hormones or their hormones didn't respond to this, or, you know, they were constantly injured. And it's like, if you do CrossFit, in the way that CrossFit was originally presented and originally designed to overall hit all the aspects of your health, that's not what happens. What happens is, as you said, people right before burnout, they're going to the gym three or four hours a day, even though they have no prior experience and their body freaks out, understandably, because they're sort of acting like an asshole and your body doesn't like when you act like an asshole. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, like, you know, I I have this injury that's nagging or whatever it is. And they're like, it must be CrossFit. I'm like, okay, so let's back up. Let's talk (laughs) about what you were supposed to do versus what you did. Like you said, if you go, say you just do a CrossFit class, you're at a good affiliate, you have good coaches with eyes on you and you do that three to five days a week forever. I don't know that I can think of something that covers more bases Mm -hmm. that's going to keep you as involved as CrossFit and the community that surrounds it does. And as you said, can age with you. Like there are people in my gym that are in their eighties. I also have a 13 year old working out directly next to them. And there's not a lot of things that you can say that for. So Mm. that in itself, I think just says a lot. And I think you would be the dopest CrossFitting grandma that would ever hit Instagram. (laughs) Like CrossFit Kate goes geriatric. Like you have to keep up with it. I think people are like really into CrossFit kids and they're like, that's where it's at, like CrossFit kids. And I'm like, no, look at this entire generation of CrossFitters. One day we're all going to be 80. You're going to need to know how to train masters athletes. Like that's where the future of CrossFit is. It's the masters. Like look at all the categories we already have. And I know that we're young and we're focused on the open category because we're all 35 or under. And then the the kids, like, because that's phenomenal. You got 15 year olds snatching, like the girls snatching 90 kilos or 200 pounds or whatever. And I'm like, this is blowing my mind, but it's the old athletes, it's the masters 
it's like, that's where we're all heading. That's where we're all about to be. Like, man, like we got to get our head around that. Like, I love that. You know, the whole thing with training, like for a long term, that's what people need. CrossFit is the best. And people that are like, oh, well, what about injuries and burnout? It's like, it's what you said. It's like, tell me the context because I can tell you all the people that I know that have had problems from overtraining with CrossFit, the training was such a small part of what was really going on. They weren't sleeping. They were working a full-time job. They were stressed out. They weren't eating enough. They lost a ton of weight. They were having problems with their relationship. They were under financial stress. There's so much more to that story. Like there's a girl on Instagram and I won't name names, but I get super frustrated with her because she always hates on CrossFit because she's like, oh, I had all these issues with my hormones. And like, oh, I just had all these health problems and CrossFit was such a bad thing. And I'm like, buddy, when you talk about your actual experience of CrossFitting, you were trying to be competitive. You've moved to a gym where you were training two sessions a day for three hours a day. You were under eating because you had eating disorders. Like you're making it out like CrossFit was the cause when CrossFit was just one piece of all these other things. And if you'd just done CrossFit, like as it's meant to be done, you would never experience any of those things, but it came with all the stuff that you've gone through. And it's like, Hey, that really shit. And I know that you've experienced something bad, but I think you're pointing the finger at the wrong guy. And it just so conveniently happens that she sells programming. That's not CrossFit and she sells nutrition coaching. And it's like, of course, she's going to make the villain competition, right? Like it just works out so conveniently for her and her product and her marketing. (laughs) So I'm like, this is so frustrating that she makes all these people think about like, Oh, my hormones and CrossFit and the training and the strength and conditioning that you're getting from this program is not causing you problems. Now, that's not to say that you can't do it wrong. People can do any fitness program wrong. Like there is a way that you can fuck yourself up, but it always comes alongside of someone who's not eating correctly, who's not eating enough, who might be eating too much, who's got other pre-existing either injuries or health problems, who isn't sleeping, who's got five kids and like just can't get anything done around the house. It's like there's so much more to those stories. I'm raising CrossFit seems to get the finger pointed at it. So my partner is an example, MDM. He did CrossFit and then took five years off because he burned himself out. But what was happening alongside of the training that he was doing, um, not only was he doing a training program that was like he was doing two or three hours in the morning and two or three hours in the evening. He was working a job. It was like he had a two hour commute or something. So it was like an hour there, an hour home. He'd get like five to six hours sleep every night and he did it for like three years. His body crashed. It's like, no wonder. Like, I think if you were at least sleeping, maybe you would have been okay. But it's like, man, you didn't stand a chance. And it wasn't the CrossFit. It was the, it was the excessive volume. It was the lack of sleep and the lack of care for your body. Unrealistic amounts of stress that you're trying to get your body to deal with. And it's just like, you just break down. You can't tolerate it. It's not, it's never just one thing. Like, I think people think that they can point the finger at one thing. Oh, it was just this. It was just that. And it's like, no, it's never one thing. Tell me the whole story. Tell me the context. Cause you're going to find a whole lot of other red flags. It's always the rest of the story, right? And just like the person on Instagram who I happen to know, I think exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, all of a sudden (laughs) they're selling programming that is essentially identical to how you're supposed to do CrossFit. It's interesting, right? And you're like, okay, so I thought this was the problem, but yet all of a sudden, like, this is the best thing that ever happened. It's like, no, you fixed all your other shit that has been a shitstorm all over everything that is causing these things. And just as you said, it's never one thing in almost any situation. Like if Mm -hmm. something goes to complete shit, especially your health, it's not usually a pinpoint thing unless obviously like there's something wrong. You are starting a podcast, which I will link in the show notes when it comes out because it is not out yet. And I believe you are starting this with Mr. Dateman, who is still at this point fully anonymous on Instagram. Is that correct? (laughs) Correct. He has not been revealed yet. So when this show comes out, what is going to be the main theme of it? 
Like, I think it's just going to be an extension of Instagram where it's, I actually think the format we're going to use is a bit of a and a which Q&A is like, we do a lot of questions and answering. Like we, we love using like questions and prompts and like cards to just like get questions going and ask each other things that maybe we wouldn't normally have come up in conversation. So we have a habit of asking one question that will take an hour or three questions. And it, like suddenly we start at 12 p.m. and suddenly it's like, oh my God, it's nighttime, it's dinner time. Like, oh my gosh. I think what's probably going to happen is the format will be Q&A, but it will just be very extended answers to some select questions about a specific topic or an area like our relationship or sex or training or food. He's super knowledgeable around food and training as well, which is awesome. He can kind of contribute on, on across the board and all that stuff, which um. Super excited about. So yeah, a little bit of a QA format with just us having a conversation about it and just diving into those things. I love that. I think that's gonna be amazing. And just for a reference for everybody, this interview had four questions that I had actually written out as <laughs> the pillars. And exactly. on, on my clock right now, we're clocking 147. So I, I think <laughs> this is a little bit of a dangerous talkative duo, but I love it. And I'm so excited <laughs> to hear that show come out. You're going to talk about polyamory, which I think is such an interesting topic on your Instagram. And I love the way that you talk about it. Also, Amanda Bucci and John Romaniello. I'm not sure how to say his name, but her now fiance, you guys, I think are the three that are putting it out there in a way that is so understandable and so relatable. And so in a way, just this is not crazy, like stop acting like it's crazy type thing. And I think that's really important. I love learning about that. And I think Rob has bought three different types of toe spacers because of your friggin' Instagram. I'm like, stop buying them. Stop. Just pick a pair. pair. I'm done. I'm over it. I love it. I love the extensive array of topics you cover. And a Q&A style show for you specifically will be the most interesting listen ever. I'm so excited for that show to come out. So I will definitely link that for everyone as soon as it comes out and I'll put it up on my Instagram as well. And I'll announce it in the show just to make sure that everyone knows that that is indeed out because that is going to hit. (laughs) So where can everybody find you? I am mostly an Instagram user. So CFK is where you'll find me and you'll find the links to my other pages with my nutrition programming stuff. Yeah, like CFK is kind of my my main gig. I, I've sort of ventured onto TikTok and a few things. TikTok is dangerous. I lose so much time on TikTok. I just, I won't even go there. Like <laughs> I, I spend too much time trying to make videos and then lose time just watching other people's videos. So I'm like, I just, I've parked TikTok for a while. I'm just trying to focus on Instagram. I will put that in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for joining us and bringing all of this. This has been such a packed episode. I'm now looking at the timer and I'm like, I don't know how the fuck I'm going to edit this down to be under two hours (laughs) because I love every single thing you said. It was so, so awesome. And I am so excited to hear your show as well. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. 